Uh, if you have your Bibles, would you open those up to Isaiah 9? Isaiah 9 is where we're going to be um, today. And um, I came in today, obviously our office here, uh, y'all know I'm the campus pastor over at, Smir- at Stewart's Creek Campus. I don't know if you knew that. Some, some of you are new, but um, I'm filling in today. But uh, when I came in today, I-, I love the way the place looks. Like I look back and I see the trees and the halls are decked here, the, the garlands and all the stuff that's around here. I love the nostalgia of Christmas. I, I just really do. It's not just here. Ford's do it at the house. Um, man, I've got those, those Christmas cards that people begin to send. I stick those on the refrigerator and those are cool. I love all of the nostalgic things like you do. Um, movies, watch the movies that you watch. I love the famous ones, uh, Christmas Vacation, uh, Grinch, Elf, those. And the, the best one of all, right, is Braveheart. I, I like you, Braveheart's awesome, right? It's not Christmas, but it's just awesome. So I thought I'd throw that in there. But um, man, I just love this time of year. Uh, but... Even though the Christmas movies that we watch, the shows that we watch in tradition, and even though this morning, uh, 94.1 The Fish told me that this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, um, even though it's supposed to be calm and bright, I think we could all agree this year uh, that it feels a lot more like chaos and dark. I think there's just some things that are already different with the season. Let's just call it what it is. We don't need to deny the fact that reality. Thanksgiving was different for many of us. Uh, Many of you did not get to see your family on Thanksgiving, and that's sad. While others, you're thankful you didn't see your family uh, this Thanksgiving, right? Your mother-in-law and your cousin Eddie's and all that stuff. Uh, Some of you did, if we're just being honest. But back to the point of I think it really just feels like 2020, there's just this dark cloud that's been cast over uh, our world that we live in. Everything from a slow-moving pandemic, anxieties, both personal and global. We see uh, divisions, we see conspiracy theories, we see um, a a very contentious racial and election year. We see uh, death, we've seen sickness, we have seen um, quarantine and failed quiet times. We have seen uh, a, a Trojan horse of liberalism continue to increase, be rolled into our country. There's a, there's a lot of things that are being cast over our country right now that we live in. And if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful, then the anguish and the gloom and the doom that's happening right now in our life can dominate us. And it will quickly turn into grumbling the words, What is this world coming to? I think that's that's a question we're all asking ourselves right now. What is this world coming to? But but this shouldn't scare us. God's people have been here before. Man, we know that the story of Christmas invaded anguish and gloom and darkness. That's what Christmas is all about. It's the, it's the birth of the king who came to deliver a sin-sick world from personal and global anguish, gloom, and darkness. So there's good news. If you are here today and you would liken yourself to a young child in your dark bedroom and you're just looking for any slither of light for uh, someone to leave the door cracked or a nightlight on 
to give you some comfort in life's fear, anxiety, and darkness, all the things. If that's you, listen, you're in the right place today, and you are with the right people. We're so glad you're here, all right? So my hope is this this morning, that we would regain maybe some spiritual sanity, that we would maybe restore some of what of the locust of 2020 has taken from us, and then my, my utmost, I think my hope is that Isaiah 9 today would take our what is this world coming to and turn that into look who has come into the world. That is my hope today. So let's, let's get there. How are we gonna get there today? Let me tell you where we've been in our series, first of all. Uh, we've been in this series called Real King. And what we did, we launched this series starting as far away from Bethlehem as possible in the book of Genesis and the creation mandate. And what we saw in that was creator king God. We saw a kingdom made and then we saw a kingdom lost because of Adam and Eve's thirst for the throne. They exchanged the king and his kingdom for a curse, right? Because of their rebellion and their desire to be gods themselves, they lost the king and they lost their citizenship in the kingdom, and so have we. We know the trajectory of the story goes on, plaguing. But this, this reason, what I've just described to you in Genesis, what happened, this is the reason that the world is the way it is today because of a fractured relationship with the king and a kingdom lost. It's why we are broken. It's why our relationships are broken. It's why our families are broken. It's why our government is broken. It's why we live in the divided states of America. It is why uh, we live in a culture that's very Corinthian to the core sexually. It's the reason that this world is the way that it is because of a fractured relationship with the king and a kingdom that's lost. The trajectory of the Old Testament goes on to show us that counterfeit king after counterfeit king all through history failed to be the real king. Even though God, the true king, had fed his people, he had clothed his people, had fought all of their battles against all of their enemies, they continually and repeatedly exchanged the one true eternal king for earthly kings, and they all fell woefully short. Last week in the book of 1 Samuel, we saw the Old Testament's first monarchy, the king. The Israelites went to Samuel. They wanted an earthly king, a physical king. They were afraid. They wanted to be like the world. So they asked Samuel, hey, give us an earthly king so we can be like all the other nations. God granted their request in his sovereign plan and said, hey, Samuel, warn them that if you get this earthly king, he's gonna take away your family, your funds, and your freedom. And he did that very same thing. Saul went on. He took it from them, just as God had said, and that began the history of Israel's failed human kings. Even King David, in his, all of his uh, heart like God, all of that, he still failed to be the king that we need. This is all setting up a grand story, of course, right? But today, we fast forward 700 BC in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is going to give us a little bit more uh, specific details about this real king that's coming, but not only about this real king, he wants us to know 
this real king. There's a difference between knowing about the king to knowing the king. And that's what we're gonna do today as we see about this idea of knowing the king. Let me pray uh, before we get started in the word of God today. Father, we're humble, we're needy. We've described uh, many things that very much hit home right now. There is familial anguish, gloom, darkness. There's global, personal, in every sphere and domain of our life. And many times it feels we can't breathe. God, you promised that the real King Jesus would be the solution to all of our problems. He would fix our spiritual souls, and he would be the king that we long for and the king that we need. Father, through Isaiah 9 and the explanation of it, and through your power of the Holy Spirit, would you call people into your kingdom today? Would you increase the knowledge that we have of you as our king today? And we do all of this, and we trust you to do all these things through your perfect word, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 is this classic Christmas card verse. All right, it happens a lot of times at Christmas, a lot of churches. But for, for us to understand it properly, we need a little bit of brief context. As I said, counterfeit kings had ruled Israel history. They were all uh, shamble. They all turned away from God, all these things. Well, currently we have Ahaz, who is the king of Israel. Uh, He's their human king, but he, like all the other ones, turned his back on God, started worshiping false God. The nation of Israel is in a horrific standpoint. Verses one and two of chapter nine tells us that anguish, gloom, and darkness was all around them. They had nations threatening them from the outside. They're going to plunder all of their property. They're threatening to take their families, their kids, everything in their life, they're going to take it. So anguish, gloom, darkness is the scene. And it is in their very dark space here, like God always does, he invades dark spaces with really, really good news about the prophecy back in Genesis 3, 15, right? About this coming king who would crush the head of Satan. So today, we get a little closer glimpse on who this is. Let's look at it together. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of all or of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the word of God. Um, one of the f- most favorite things that I love about our church is newborn babies. I, I, I love to visit them in the hospital when I can do that, when I'm allowed to do that. I think it's one of my favorite things to do. I love, I love, I love seeing so many little children in our church, not, not just because you're being obedient to fruitful multiplication. That's awesome too. That's a good thing. But I mean, I love the cries and the squirms of newborn babies at our church. Why? 
You know that dying churches don't have crying and squirming problems in their churches. It's a sign of life. So I love that about our church. Let them cry, let them squirm. Uh, But usually the way that we get notified about these newborn babies in our church is through social media. It's one of the redeeming qualities of social media, by the way. But we see these parents, they post on social media that they are expecting a child and it's awesome. They're so full of joy and people are commenting and we see this excitement in their eyes and and that kind of wears away. And then a few months later, after God reveals the gender, there's another post in there. It's gonna be a boy, it's gonna be a girl. And then a a few months go by and there's a few baby bump pictures, right? We see mamas posting those things and we're kind of tracking along with them. It's pretty exciting. We're getting built up about this. And then boom, the baby is born. The birth announcement. We see the picture of the baby. We see the height of the baby, the weight of the baby. It's beautiful, it's precious. And even though these babies are awesome, they're very, very fragile. They're very weak. They're very helpless. They don't have intellect. Their shoulders are very, very tiny. They can't carry anything. And then we know that once the parents get the baby's home, that their peace is threatened and taken away from them, right? You know that happens. That's reality. But, but I love everything from the birth announcement all the way up to the babies being born. But as awesome as those things are, they all pale in comparison to the birth announcement and the baby that we've just read about in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. This baby and this birth announcement is like no other. It's not nine months before the baby's born. 700 years before this baby was going to be born, we have a birth announcement. And it's not in a, uh, the tense, read the tense behind. It's not going to have a baby. No, it's, it, it's happening. It's already happened. It's a perfect idiom. It's the, the tense there, prophetic idiom, meaning the certainty that's already been accomplished. Why? Because God is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. And as I said, the baby is quite different. He's not just natural, he's supernatural. He's not just human, he's divine. And although in his infancy, in his fragile, frail shoulders of a baby, these shoulders will carry the weight of the world. And even though his little hands are so small, one day he would stretch them out on a cross to bear the sins of the world for all who would believe. Now, this baby is different. This baby is the promised king of his people. He is the ruler of the world. He is the king that we've all been waiting for, but he's also the king that we have right now. This is Jesus, our king. Now, Back in the text here, notice that God did not send salvation to Israel through a bigger army or a bigger bully in the office. The answer to the anguish and the gloom and the darkness of the world Israel faced was the birth of a baby. Church, the answer to our personal and global anguish gloom, and darkness of our life 
is this baby. It's not in a political office. It won't be ushered in through a president. It will not come from a celebrity, from Times Person of the Year. It will not come from a king on the basketball court or the football field. It will not come into by a majority vote. The king of the world that we need is King Jesus. And this is the answer to our gloom and anguish of this world. Now, what I wanna do today, the rest of our time, is I wanna talk about this baby's name. Now, babies have one name or two names, if you know, count the middle name. This baby here has four names, according to Isaiah here, just the ones today here. Four names. Now, in the Bible, when we're given a name, it reveals the character and the qualifications of a person. So here, we're gonna see Jesus, these four two-word names reveal the character and qualifications of Jesus being the king. He is the king because of these four things. He does these things not only for the world, but for you and me. And today, my hope is this case is that you would see through these four things that he is a worthy king for you to bow to today. All right, so let's look at these four things. The first one is wonderful counselor. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. It speaks to the infinite wisdom of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that Isaiah uses the word wonderful counselor here has to do, once again, with context. So Israel was being threatened by surrounding nations. These two wicked kings in the north had combined and they were threatening on Israel, gonna conquer them. And then you have Ahaz, who's the king of Israel, and he's freaking out. He needs a little bit of help. He needs some reinforcements. Who's he gonna turn to to fight against all these wicked kings and their nations? Well, he looks down, he sees the country of Assyria. Well, they could help out. They could come in. The problem was God had warned Ahaz, had warned Israel, do not form partnerships with pagan nations because you will become like the world and they will sack you, right? They will shipwreck your faith. So he had got great counsel from God already. Don't do this. But what did Ahaz do? He listened to Isaiah. He says, man, Isaiah, stay in your lane, man. You're a prophet. I'm the king. I know what to do. So he rejected the wonderful counsel of God. He partnered with Assyria. And we know how the story ended, disaster. Israel got sacked, not from the outside threats, but from the inside Assyrians right there. Ahaz rejected the wonderful counsel of God. and He thought he was smarter than God. We do that so much, don't we? Don't we reject the wonderful counsel of God often because we think we're smarter than God? Sometimes it's not that we don't think God's right. We just don't like what he has to say. But 2020 has taught us, I think we would all agree, we're all on this quest for counsel right now. Counsel being truth, what is trustworthy. We're searching everywhere in the world for answers. We look to many, many ways, and we know that looking for counsel isn't bad. Proverbs speaks, obviously, of wise counsel and an abundance of 
plans. They succeed in wise counsel. We should search for wise counsel. That's not the issue here. The issue is who are we listening to for our wise counsel? Answers to questions like who is God? Where is God? Why do good things happen to bad people? How do I fix my marriage right now? My kid's not listening to me. He's off the rails. How do I spend my money? How do I get out of this financial and family crisis? We're all questing for counsel. The issue is who we're listening to. We can play this two ways. We can be like Ahaz and reject the wonderful counsel of God because we think we're smarter than God. I'll just figure it out on my own. Like, God, I, know, I don't want to be over there because your word, it doesn't taste good to me. I will do this on my own. And if you do that, your plans will be sacked just like Ahaz. Ruin and devastation will come into your life when you reject the mighty, wonderful counsel of God and you try to figure out on your own. The second great error we can make is, is we turn to horizontal counsel. We start listening to other people in the world. We start scrolling through our Facebook counselors, right? As if they're right. We turn on our TV, CNN, Fox News. Man, we see celebrities. Man, we see non-spiritual spiritualists like Oprah and Dr. Phil try to tell us what to do. We go to loveyourself.com or a fortune cookie from Tokyo looking, just tell me what to do. All horrible counselors, not the wonderful counselor. Didn't bad counsel burn Adam and Eve in the garden? Absolutely did. And when we either try to be our own counsel or substitute the wonderful counsel of God, it will burn our lives down as well. Church, I, I warn you greatly that if whatever's going on in your life today, no matter what personal or global anguish, doom, and darkness in it, seek the wonderful counsel of God. He's wonderful. He's brilliant. He is superior to every other inferior counselor in the world because he's always right, never wrong. He's never given one single piece of bad advice. He doesn't just wanna be right. He doesn't want to just take your money. He cares about your soul. That's an awesome counselor. He's never too busy. Schedule's never too packed. Always available. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All we have to do is crack open our Bibles and listen to him. May we never say God is silent while our Bibles remain closed. He's always speaking his wonderful counsel. You just have to open up your Bible and listen. So who do you want to listen to in your life when things are rough, when you have marital problems? You're going to call your friend at work who's been married five times? Not a good idea. When your finances are in complete disorder, you want to call your buddy down the street who's filed bankruptcy five times? No, you don't want to do that. When your life is a complete Wreck, you do not want to try to figure it out yourself on your own. Seek the wonderful counselor who is Jesus Christ. Second thing we see here is that he is a mighty God. Now, mighty God here means warrior 
God. This is a military title. Why is he using military language here? Because context again, Israel, as they were being conquered by these physical kings and their, and their kingdoms, they wanted a earthly king yielding a big and mighty sword, a battlefield that they would conquer and kill all the other wicked nations. So they wanted one with a big sword, but instead, God's brilliant secret weapon was not a sword. It was a baby in swaddling cloths. And you have to think that they're sitting there saying, uh, really, God, are you kidding? The answer, you, you, you usher out onto this battlefield a baby? You've got to be kidding, God. This is plan A. What Israel failed to see is they did not need a mighty earthly king carrying a big sword because that was not their greatest enemies. Their greatest enemies were not outside of them. Their greatest enemies was inside of them and it was themselves. They were the biggest threats in their life. The sin inside of them was their greatest enemy. So he's sending them to fix their insides, not their outsides. It's the same truth for me and you today. I don't care what's going on in your life today until the day that we die, our greatest enemy is us. It's always us. It always has been because the Bible tells me so. Like, I can't argue with that. But the good news of Christmas is this birth of this baby. He came to fix us, to bring a mighty God, to conquer sin and death, reigning and ruling over our life to be a mighty God for all his people who would trust in him. All of our enemies will be crushed underneath his feet. The effects of cancer and COVID and death and disease and divorce and all the things, every single enemy that threats against God, they will be crushed by his feet. He'll put his toes and his foot on their throats. And if you're in Christ, this mighty God fights for you, and he never clocks out, ever, ever. He never falls asleep on the throne. He's always fighting because he's a good, good king. Is he your king? Either, either listen, either you're fighting all your battles in your life, you're fighting against sin, you're fighting against hell, and you're fighting for heaven, or the mighty God who is Jesus is fighting for you and he's never lost a battle. Who's fighting for you? Now this next point here is that Jesus Christ is an everlasting father. Everlasting father. Now this can be confusing. Uh, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, is the father of the son. So if he's the son, how is he now being called Father here. The first thing I want you to see is everlasting. So he is, Isaiah speaking to the preeminence of Christ. He has no beginning and he has no end. He's everlasting. He's, he's showing the deity of Jesus Christ here, but he's not just everlasting and eternal. He's a father. He's a father. How do we connect those two things? Well, in the Old Testament, kings were often referred to as fathers because they were in charge of the political and spiritual care of the citizens in their kingdom. 
So what Isaiah is saying here is he's combining these things. He is an everlasting father. His term will have no end, but he's also a father that has no end. I am an earthly father. I have four kids. I've been a father for 20-something years, and there'll be a day will I die or Jesus is coming back, and my fatherhood has a time stamp on it. It's gonna be done and over with and through. Not this Jesus. He's everlasting. He'll always be our father forever and ever and ever. And he leads us like a father. I don't, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word father. Many times that stirs up a lot of bad memories in us, doesn't it? The imperfections of a father. We all have the stories because all of our fathers are sinners, including me. But this father is like no earthly father. He's perfect in all of his ways. He's tough. He's tender. He's gentle. He is compassionate. He's full of truth. He's full of grace. He disciplines those who he loves. He is the father that we need and the father we will never, ever lose. Jesus Christ, the everlasting father. The last piece here is this. He is the prince of peace. Once again, context. We've described Israel being at war with other nations, surrounding all around them. And God promised that this baby was the solution to the peace of the world. It's going to be found in a baby born in Bethlehem. Why? Because this Prince of Peace is coming to bring peace between God and man. Look at Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. There are wars raging all around our world today. As I said, both global, racial, familial, personal, wars all around us. We are peace-famished people all the day long, longing for peace. We want peace. We're made to have peace. The problem is, as we turn and look for peace in the wrong places, maybe peace will come if we protest enough. I'm not saying protest is wrong, hear me. But to hope and think that Human protest was gonna usher in peace of the world. Are you kidding me? Man, peace, may, some people think, I call them loveites. They think that peace in the world would just come if we all just love one another. Can't we all just sing kumbaya with one another and peace will come into the world? No, no, no. Peace will never come into this world until there is peace with God. It is an impossibility for you and me to have peace with one another if we do not have first peace with God. Until we see that we need peace with God because we're born at war with God. That's the first problem most people don't understand. They think they're born perfect and it's this them and God in this harmonious, peaceful relationship. Problem is the Bible says we're rebels to God. We're very hostile. We're his enemies. We need peace with God first before world peace can be a reality. How do we get peace with God? Praise be to God. He just sent peace into the world. The God of peace sent the Prince of peace into the world. 
peace is not a pipe dream. It's not in a protest or a political reform. Peace is a person. Peace lived, peace died, peace rose again. And for those who trust in peace Jesus, then peace reigns and rules in you forever and ever through the Holy Spirit. It has no end. Peace will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Peace is Jesus. Do you know peace? You have the peace of God in you. If you do, are you a peacemaker with others who have peace with God? Or are you finding yourself battling people all the day? Please extend the peace of God because you have been a recipient of God's peace. Listen, church, peace with God doesn't come through your personal power. It comes through personal surrender. You don't accomplish peace with God. It comes through a surrender, a white flag. Have you raised your white flag and surrendered to Jesus Christ? We have seen the beauty and the wonder of King Jesus. He is wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He's an everlasting father and he is the prince of peace. He's awesome. I think we as a church have made the mistake, and I don't mean us here at Life Point. Historically, including me, we have sometimes tried to make hell look so horrible that we have failed to show the beauty of Christ. He's amazing. Yes, we should warn people, yeah, but, but the horror of hell is not what draws people to Jesus. It's the beauty of Jesus that draws people to him. The majesty, the beauty of his king. He's a king like no other we've ever seen in this world. He's a king that did not sit on his throne and throw out orders from afar. He's a king that got off the throne and came near to us. He's not a selfish, taking king. He's a selfless, giving king. King. He's the king that we need. He's awesome. S.M. Lockridge, uh, a, a famous, he's past now, a Baptist preacher, said this about Jesus Christ. There was nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. He had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. He's the prince of princes. He's the master of mayors. He's the leader of legislators. He's the governor of governors. He's the president of presidents. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That's my king. Amen, right? Why would we ever want another king, right? Why? He, he is the king that we've hoped for, the king that we long for, the king that we need. The question is, is he your king today? couple of questions, a couple of x-ray questions. Is he your king? Do you want to be ruled by this king? You see, if you don't want to be ruled by this king, you aren't fit for heaven because he rules there. If you don't let him rule you here, you figure that out. We must submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but as King. So if you don't know him as your king, if you're not uncertain about that, not know about him, I don't mean facts about the Trinity. I, I mean know him, his name, like personal. I wanna help you do that today. I wanna, I wanna share a gospel with you. 
because Jesus is always our bottom line here at our church. Make no mistake about that. Yeah, we got taglines. Jesus is always the bottom line of every sermon that we preach. Here's how you can know the great king that is Jesus Christ. First, you have to agree with God concerning and admitting that you and I have been thrown thieves. We have tried to kick God off of the throne to rule our own lives, to make our own decisions, to be our own God. We're all guilty and we're horrible, horrible kings, y'all. We want to be the king of everything. We want to be the king of our houses. We want to be the kings of our cash. We want to be the kings of our neighborhood Christmas lights. We want to be the king of our fantasy football league. We want I-24 to be our kingdom, and all the little minions would just get out of our way when we're driving, right? We so many times try to be little self-sovereigns. Oh, I can control the world. I'll control my life. I'll control my kid's life. I'll control sickness and death and disease. I will make all the decisions and I will be my own king. Listen, you and I are horrible kings. Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) Thanks, RC, appreciate that. Listen, the reason I say that is because you and I will never, ever, ever see the beauty of Christ being our king until you see the disaster of you and me trying to be king. So you must first agree with God. The second thing we would probably need to agree is we've all turned to horizontal kings. We've turned to things in our life to try to satisfy the longing of our heart. Careers, cash, kids, these aren't bad things. They are bad kings. They aren't meant to rule our life. They aren't meant to govern our hearts. And they all will still prove to be counterfeit. So we are guilty on all charges. God has rendered a verdict and said guilty. But this is where Christmas comes in. The good news of this baby in Isaiah 9 through 6, 7 is he came to remedy our selfish hearts, our self-rule to free us up from anguish, gloom, and darkness of the world, of us trying to be kings and look at other kings. By living the life we can't live, by dying the death that we deserve, and by defeating the grave, which to which no one's ever done in the history of the world, to liberate us, to free us up, to gladly submit and bow our feet to Jesus and live under his holy reign forever and ever. Do you know the king today? If you're not sure about that, or you're like, yeah, I feel this thing in my stomach, and I don't really know. I think I know about Jesus. I don't know him. Listen, would you today, you can either text the word Jesus, someone will reach out to you this week, or after service, or even when we get, begin to sing just a moment, come out those double doors. Go to the right. There'll be somebody standing over there. We want you to know why it's such a good thing to bow the knee to Jesus Christ today. We wanna help you do that, all right? So the second thing I wanna tell you is I wanna talk to the Christian in the room for just a minute. You're like, yep, I bow a knee, I'm saved, I I know Jesus. Listen, let's remember that Jesus did not just die on a bloody cross so that we would know him salvifically. Not meaning not just to go to heaven. He didn't die a gruesome, horrible death so we could go to church once a week 
listen to a pastor or watch a sermon online. He died so that we would know him intimately, deeply, adore him as king, to know his name, to know him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of feet. In, in such a way that we would know him that it would transform our life, not just dictate a location that we went to on Sunday. That's what he did. And how this is accomplished, church, listen, I'm gonna land this. How this is accomplished, intimacy with Jesus Christ is only, only accomplished through his word. Only through his word. Because here's what happens. You and I, more than ever in this world, we need the word. Because today, when you go home, when I go home, and temptation is all around. Marital discourse, temptation, the news feed, the gloom and doom news feed that comes across our screens, all the chaos in our own lives, Travis and the band aren't going to be there to sing your favorite song. Your pastor is not gonna be preaching a sermon over top of you. What you and I need when we get home, when there's hell in our house, is the word. We need the wonderful word of God. And this church is so passionate about that. And your elders at this church are so passionate about you seeing and hearing the word of God that we are doing something that we want you to be a part of starting January 1st. And that is a one-year Bible reading plan. One-year Bible reading plan starting January 1st. Here's how this is going to go down. The first thing we would ask you to do is get a Bible, all right? If you don't have a Bible and you are, and you can't afford a Bible, today you can go out to the Go Center. We'll give you one. It's probably a paperback. If you want a nicer one, you can upgrade to the Lost and Found section. It might be your Bible that you left here six months ago. Um, but, but if you can't afford your own Bible, would you go online? We're gonna ask you to look at two translations. Um, not going into details on that thing, but we think that ESV, this is the one we preach out of on Sunday, or the CSV, those are two really good translations. We want you to get a hold of one. We want you to use uh, the bookmarks, which I think you got when you came in. Someone nod and tell me that you got that when you came in. Anybody? Okay, cool, all right, cool. Uh, use those to navigate through your readings, but lean in with us. Uh, there's gonna be a plan, it's on the app. I'm gonna trust that you can navigate through that. If you have questions, Go find a staffer, we wanna help you. But we, we are so committed to this that we want you to be a part of this. We want you to know our king in an intimate, intimate way. So we're excited about that. We're gonna walk through that. I hope you do that individually, maybe with your group. Uh, but we want you to get ready for that. Um, and we are excited about that. Let me pray for us today. And the band is going to sing about our humble king this morning. Lord Jesus, your word always accomplishes what you intend for it to do. We are just to be faithful to it. And God, I pray that you have revealed in us today, this scripture has been like a mirror to us and it just reveals imperfections in us and our betrayal of you and kind of puts us in a posture of neediness towards the real king. Not one time in our life when we made a decision, but we need this king every single day. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy because you never leave us. You are a wonderful, 
counselor. You are a mighty God. You are an everlasting father, and you are a prince of peace. We love you. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Man, you